What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Strands Real Estate Podcast, episode three. Woo! This is uh, Eric Ransdell here with my uh, business partners and co-hosts, Brian and Michael. Yep. Brian Ransdell, Michael Nunziata. Yep. Um, today, we are we want to talk about the, the pressures of starting a business. Yes, we do. Um, you know, it's one of those things I think everyone kind of wants to do, be their own boss, make their own hours, uh, be responsible, you know, for their own lives. Um, but there is always a scare going to it and, you know, about having to be your own boss, about having to make your own money. And we like to talk about how we're started this process out and some of the stresses, uh, how's it affected relationships and the pressures that you feel. But also the, there's been a lot of good and a lot of learning, a lot of growth that's come out of it too. So you get both sides and I think some of it just kind of weathered the storm and we'd like to give you some insight uh, into our process and how we work that out. Yeah, and some of it too is also you know, as a realtor, as a real estate agent, or if you're a commercial broker or whatever you are, you're, you also have to start your own business as well within a business, but you still are operating your own business. So it's kind of a, a, a topic that, you know, even if you don't, aren't looking to start your own brokerage, it still is a good uh, topic for you to understand and, and be aware of. Yeah, that is definitely true because you are responsible for going out and finding your own leads, writing down your own leads, working the stuff. You know, no one's really holding you necessarily accountable except for yourself, you know, and you do need to be aware of that. It's very good to bring that up. Yep. Nothing like starting a business in these times, too. Oh, yes. These times. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, exciting. It's been a thing. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, we started off in a great market, and that was the way, how fast it changed was quite an eye-opening experience too yeah, overnight and I guess that's why it's important like you guys are saying to have your processes and procedures in place so you can kind of stay afloat no matter what the market is and kind of you know follow suit and, and keep pushing did we say that I don't know if, if you didn't I just I gave you credit for a, it I think right. we've said it now you know some past podcasts you yeah. know we're okay. smart ish yeah. all right I was just checking because I don't remember saying that but Mike just <laughs> put words in my mouth I thought you guys said that yeah. but uh like what kind of processes and procedures Michael well, I think that you should have a process that you follow every day, maybe a routine that you do, right? So you're not falling out of your routine and, you know, every day is kind of structured. I feel like if you don't have structure in your day-to-day life, you know, it's going to be very hard to, to run a successful business, especially when things get tough. But if you're able to follow your, you know, your structure and follow your routine and kind of stay motivated, keep yourself motivated and get creative at times, that's who's going to succeed and, and stay afloat in the hard times. Well, let's kind of, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about what, uh, what what am I trying to say? What is the what are the benefits to starting your own business? Freedom, taxes, <laughs> taxes, freedom. I think your income is is not capped, right? I mean, everyone wants to make a lot of money and support their family and friends, do fun things. And when you work for somebody, you know you're you're gonna always make you know less than what that person's worth. So when you start your own business, it's kind of an unlimited ceiling for yourself. And that freedom is tricky. Um, when you're doing this, you are putting in a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of upfront stuff. So you feel like maybe you don't have that freedom because there's so much upfront. But what you're playing for is not necessarily, you know, this week, this next month, this next year. You know, a few years down the road where you can, you know, take those vacations or you can come in late yeah. in the morning. You know, you've got everything set up. It, that comes with your process and procedures like Mike's talking about. Like getting your, you know, your your roles and responsibilities. Who's going to do what? How are they going to get it done? Why are they getting it done? And when does it need to be done by? Yep. You know that kind of thing. And it's a great point. we're talking about being consistent. You know, getting up in the morning. You know, having your cup of coffee and breakfast. Reading through emails. Do you drink coffee? Well, I, 
you know, sugar free, sugar free coffee. Yeah, sugar free. You know I mean? Um, but uh, you know, getting your day started that way, and then saying each day I'm going to make, we say X amount of phone calls. I'm going to follow up on X amount of emails, and making sure you get those done. I'm going to, you know, do whatever it is you're going to do that you decide that's going to make you succeed. That you hold yourself accountable to that, because then you're the only one that holds yourself accountable. You know, um, in our instance, of course, it's a little different. There's three of us here, which is, you know, it's it's good and it's bad. It's, it's bad because we all think a different way and we're all new to working each other. We've known each other for years, but we haven't worked with each other. And, it, you know, a working relationship is different than a friend relationship. You know, there's just different things. There's different ideas and it's getting to know each other. And, you know, that's honestly caused some struggles, you know, some misconceptions or viewpoints. Um that have been mis misread or misseen on, you know, I think on all of our parts, right? You know, like we thought one person was thinking one way and then we took offense to that or it bothered us. And it turns out that person wasn't thinking that at all. And, you know, and, and, uh, that's caused some troubles, you know, and, you know, Eric and I are brothers, so we know each other pretty well, but working together is different. So we've had different viewpoints, different things that's gone on and kind of just growing from there. But one of the blessings of having three partners is, is especially that we've become such good friends, you know, friends and family, is we can also rely on each other to help pick each other up when something's not going to, uh, on. You know, one of the things that has benefited us so greatly is Eric has been able to devote himself full time to running the brokerage, getting things going, where, you know, I still have another job, Mike still has another job. <clears throat> and so honestly, without Eric being able to do this, we wouldn't be going right now, you know, and, but that puts stress on Eric because Eric's here full time. He's kind of almost on his own yeah. uh, majority of the time. And then, you know, and he, he feels some of that burden. I mean, do you want to talk about, you know, some of the ways you felt maybe being kind of being on your own Island as it were, as you know, Mike and I are off in our regular nine to fives and coming in and out and not being able to dedicate as much time as you have. Yeah. And I, and I knew that going in, but as you, you know, as you get going, it starts to get a little kind of, I don't want to say frustrating, but it gets a little, you know, you, like like I said, you feel like you're on an island because you can't get a hold of somebody all the time, and and it's not their fault because they have another job, and you got, you know, got into this business knowing that that's what what it was going to take, but, um, you know, it does it does feel like that from time to time, but I think that that's where roles and responsibilities are very crucial, and and communication is also very crucial, and having your you know your weekly meetings and. And hiring the right people with you too, like we, you know, we've hired a, a couple of people who have definitely helped take off a lot of that uh, burden from me, and you know, um, allowing me to to work on other aspects of the business to to help it grow. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that people uh, maybe think that they can do on their own is not worth investing in it is an assistant, but it's all those little things that seem like that just drown you or you know, kind of take over. Like you got to file this paperwork, make this copy, this <clears throat> email of that person. It's all these little things that just kind of take over. And managing people. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a game. It's a, it's a game for sure. You know, it's a balancing act, you know, and, and everyone kind of acts different, you know, and you kind of got to be cognizant of how people think and, and you know, what they feel and kind of where they're coming from, kind of get inside their head. It's it's a trick. It's a, it's a you, Some of it, you know, of course, comes naturally. You can be a natural leader, but I think most of it's learned. I agree. Yeah. Most of it is Experience. learned. Yeah, managing a crew and different people and, and, you know, a team. And really your team, you know, you know, you could be the boss and you could be the owner, but you are really reliant on your team. 100%. You know, so you work for them. 
Correct, especially as a as a broker. I mean, you you really you're not your your clients are your agents that work for you. They're, it's not the people that are you know you're you're working for to to get a deal done because the goal is to not as a broker to not be competing with your agents. So the goal is to you know be their client essentially or have them be your client and you need to service their needs in order to help them grow as well. Uh, I guess kind of what, what are some of the struggles that you guys <clears throat> see from having to do this on a, on a part-time basis and where, you know, and, and kind of what is, what's the goal to get to so that you're not working two jobs forever? Well, I think for me, uh, you know, I speak for myself is, is definitely the pressure, right? I mean, you feel the pressure when you're doing a lot and you're doing a lot, you know, and your time is kind of constricted because of doing both jobs. You definitely feel pressure that, you know, you're not doing enough and, you know, it kind of gets difficult to manage both things. But I think, uh, like you said, that's where the roles and responsibilities come into play, right? When, when you really dive into those and really focus on each individual roles, um, I think it helps alleviate some of that pressure. So for me, it's just pressure. Like, you know, I see you working hard, both you guys busting your butts and, you know, it makes me want to, you know, work even harder. And sometimes you feel that pressure. We don't have the time or, you know, you kind of have other responsibilities or other jobs. So you're trying to manage both of those. Yeah. You know, for me in particular is I'm one of those people that has to be almost fully engaged all the time. Like I need to kind of, I tend to immerse myself in things for better, for worse, you know, and uh, yeah, same. almost obsessive <coughs> with things. And, uh, and you, you kind of get pulled in different directions, right? You're, we must have some COVID going around here. A lot of throat <laughs> clearing. Yeah. Um, uh, that we can take that, get that Makura down at the bar down the street, <laughs> that whiskey cure. But yeah. yeah, some of it, um, you know, you get, you, so you get pulled in different <laughs> directions, you know, and you're not as fully engaged as you mm -hmm. want. You know, Eric, you have things going on here that I don't necessarily need to be a hundred percent a part of, but I feel like I'm not a part of, and it, it kind of breaks you down a little bit. You know, you feel like yeah, I'm not doing enough. I'm not in there enough. I'm not helping enough. I'm, you know, and you kind of start to feel guilty. Yeah. And it wears you out, but you know, you comes in and trusting your partner, kind of keeping in touch with them, saying, "Hey, is, what do you want from me, or what do you need me to do?" Um, just kind of following up. Um, but there's that stress in there. You feel, you know, kind of like a failure. I think anyone that wants to start their own business or has has gone as far as this is obviously driven, right? They want to succeed. They they want to make it. They have a they have this drive, you know, inside of them, this fire to do this stuff. And and usually those people want to be 100 percent and everything and you know when you're working two jobs you don't feel like you're completely 100 percent at everything whether you are or you're not you feel torn in different directions you know and, and that's hard yeah i think that's a good point that for me too like you said you know not i'm definitely the type of person just like you are you want to give 100 percent everything you do and it's it's very hard to do that doing two jobs and that's something i've definitely struggled with is uh not being able to give 100 percent, and it's it definitely messes with you a little bit i, I think too something that <clears throat> If people are looking to, you know, go out there and start their own business and partner with people, they need to make sure that they're partnering with the right people because there are days where, I mean, we literally come close to punching each other in the face, but yet we can, uh, we can. That's why God made tables. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's why God made tables. But thank God this one's not broken. Uh, but uh, you know, we can come close to come close to that, and here we are still doing this thing. Well, I think that's what gets people through it too. You know, it's the people that stop at those times that aren't going to make it. It's, you know, the difference is just the people that don't give up. You know, so yeah. And you have to be prepared for those hard times. And you know, quite honestly, 
you know, there's very few cases where you're just an overnight success. I mean, they happen. You hear about them. But, you know, most of the time, you know, you're starting off, you're investing money or, or using people's money to invest and they're stressing that. Usually it's family, friends, people you know. So now you're responsible for someone else you care about, you know, making making them money, you know, and you... Or losing their money. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. That's the scary yeah. thing for sure, you know, and it kind of sits on you too, you know, and, and you've kind of got to weather this storm. You have, you know, maybe you have significant other, or you have kids you're responsible for, and now you're gone doing this, or you spent you know, most of your money and, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. What am I going to do there? You know, it's a good thing that my child is an infant and will have no idea if she gets kissed or not because <laughs> ain't happening this year. Yeah. I'm actually going to gift her some of my socks because <laughs> they're soft and she'll like them. Mine all rips <laughs> from my dog. So I don't think she wants my socks. Yeah. You probably still wear holy socks. I have holes. Here's in my the thing socks. with newborns. Uh, they like wrapping paper more than the gifts because it crinkles <laughs> and it just does stuff. So just get wrapping paper and wrap it in wrapping paper. I feel like she, at this point she wouldn't even care about that. She's just like, <laughs> yeah. I know nobody can see me, but she's, milk. She's, yeah, she's like a little drunk person. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the easy stage, believe it or not. Then they start talking. <laughs> let me let me get your attitude today. With any luck, she'll be just like you and have to deal with a little version of yourself full time. <laughs> that's a blast. That sounds like a nightmare. I know I have one. <laughs> she's just like me. Um, but yeah, but you know. Uh, Besides all that, you know, and of course the stresses we talked about, the hardships, the arguments and stuff that, like Eric was saying, when you have a good team or people that you really can rely on, you can get those things out. You can argue them out. You can fight them out. Um, but you can kind of come to a solution or a way to move forward or an agreement, you know, between each other. And it kind of fills you back up. And you're like, okay, well, we hit pretty <laughs> hit pretty hard on the bottom here, you know. And uh, we're still here and we're still moving forward. And that's kind of one of the things that kind of keeps you going too, you know, is that faith. Like, you know what? Maybe the market just took a downturn and we're just we're just not where we want it to be, you know. But I think we have the team. And I think we've pivoted pretty well, you know, out of it. We're looking for other solutions. We're working those other solutions. You know, we had a business plan and a model we were going to use. And we wanted to stick to that. But we weren't so rigid that we turned a blind eye onto what was going on we weren't so stubborn that we were going to ride that down till we burned and crashed. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, that's for sure. We definitely, we definitely pivoted big time. Uh, adapt. I think you need to be able to adapt really in anything to be successful. So I think the people that are able to adapt and willing to adapt that are people that are going to kind of make it, you know, and be here for the long run. Yeah. I think another big tool to that is you know, bringing on people that are bringing on good people, people that are going to, you know, help that, help that out, you know, and, I mean, it's like we said earlier, you know, you, you're kind of, your your clients are your agents if you're a broker, but, you know, it's also, you know, like you guys all met Lindsay on the last podcast, you know, someone that, we, you know, we have managed the, uh, the, uh, the office for us. And then on top of that, we also, you know, brought in Mike's brother to help us run, you know, look for properties that are, you know, out of state since we're going to be growing our investment side of the things, um, you know, things like that, you know, like minded individuals that you can place yeah. in roles, you know, help them succeed. And, and then it's roles that that they want to be in, too. You know what I mean? And you could work with them as a team. You know, I'll do this. You do this. You do this. And everyone kind of comes together and makes helps make successful. Yep. Successful. 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 What type of podcast is this? It's well, a successful one. We're, we're going to do an English seminar. <laughs> podcast. We're not successful yet. We're successful. Student, I, I like the second one kind of better. I couldn't afford the, yeah, I couldn't afford the use, so I didn't go with the E. 
All right, so kind of something that we've uh, had to do as you know, we've talked about pivoting is, is in our initial model a year and a half ago was um, short term, right? Flipping houses and- And it was going pretty well. It was, we flipped a few, we made a lot of money and then we lost. Um, and the market kind of changed on us on a, on a dime. Within and two months. Literally, yeah. I, I mean, literally, we we lost money on a on the last house that we flipped because we were two weeks behind the market. Yeah, literally two weeks. Um, but that's all right. You know, it happens. So we we kind of are shifting our game plan to more of a long term um, long term hold to hold out this or to kind of wait out this market, I guess. And and I mean, granted, we'll still take a flip if the if the if the numbers work and and they make sense, but. Yeah, it all comes down to the numbers, and then right, like you, you, you just got to run the numbers and see what you're, what you're capable of, and you have to be pretty good at running your numbers, you know. Exactly. So right now, our biggest thing that we're looking for is we're looking for seller finance, long term multifamily apartment complexes. So let's talk about that. Why, why that now? Well, let's go back to, this, to like you were saying before. We did have a market plan uh, to get in. What we're going to do? How we're going to make money? We we did lose, but we did not stick to our guns in that sense that we were just going to go down with the ship. We pivoted also goes back to our relationships and having a good team, you know, like we talked about earlier, but why now let's share with everyone why now we're going with these buy and holds and where. All right. So interest rates kind of, they, they ticked up real fast, like faster than normal, like to the point where yes, 6% isn't necessarily that big of a deal, but when you go from 3% to 6%, doubles your payment. Yeah. Yeah. In no time, you know, in a month's, in a month's time or two months' time, well, you're bad at inflation at the same time. Yeah, so it's it makes things it makes the buyer pool shrink significantly, you know, and and then it also just drives down the market. So, I I don't think the interest rates are going to stay at that point, but I that also just means that, you know, you're you're buy a property, hold it for three months, flip it, get rid of it. it that's not a good strategy at the moment well it's risky in general and then when the market's constantly shifting and you have no idea where it's going to be in a month from now it makes it even riskier just to touch on that though before you go into why we uh pivoted i think kind of the market shifting the way it did and us losing definitely made us better at running our numbers it made us better at the flipping strategy you know before everybody was winning yeah you know now you have to be good to win yeah, so we, I, I think we, that kind of made our processes and procedures a little better we dived into numbers a little bit more and, you know, definitely better off for the future. 100%. I think that we, we basically kind of, we, we were very bullish, yeah. you know, we were, we were okay with being bullish and being very uh, aggressive to beat another investor out of, on a dollar amount, you, you know, because we knew that we were probably, it was houses were going a hundred thousand dollars over asking. Yeah. It was stupid. But, uh, but now that that's changed, we can't, we can't keep focusing on that. So, so, Hey, we took lessons learned. Yeah, yeah took exactly. lessons learned. And, and and I do think that that market's going to come back. I do think that, you know, the flipping market will come back in, you know, probably about a year from now, if, if not less. Um, and I think that we'll, we'll, we'll transition back to that at some point. But this is kind of the, the time where we need to look into our, our long-term play, our long-term strategy. This isn't a get rich quick, you know, and not that flipping houses get rich quick, but flipping houses is a, is a more instant gratification. You know, it's more of a three to six month, you know, gratification where our new strategy is more of a two to five year um, plan. Yeah. It's a slower growth, but right now it seems more stable. Correct. You know, and, and I guess Mike, you want to dive into a little bit on why 
on what it is that we are looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, right now we're looking for multifamilies that we can sell or finance, right? So I think our strategy of seller financing is a little bit more creative than just normally purchasing a house with a typical loan, right? For a lot of the investment properties, multifamilies, you know, the interest rates are so high that you're not going to buy anything that's going to make sense. You'll probably end up losing money a month before you end up making money, right? So at least with seller finance, typically what it is, it's someone owns, you know, a property that's paid off. You kind of make the terms with the seller. They become your bank and everybody kind of wins in the end. So we're able to give the seller maybe 300, 400,000 more than they would typically get on market. Plus they get the interest only payments, you know, during the, the life of the loan. And at the end of a, an agreed amount number of years, we have a balloon payment, right? So at the end of those years, we can either refinance out of it. You know, we can sell it completely. There's kind of different options that we have. Um, we're looking for ideally properties that need a little bit of work, not a ton, just so we can kind of build some of that equity for some of the equity, not rely on the market so much. Um, I'll, I'll give an example of, yeah. of, uh, of one that we just made an offer in on in Southern California. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody where it is because I don't want you guys jumping. <laughs> yeah, jumping we got to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a property. It's a multi-unit apartment complex. The rents right now are about 10 10 to 15% below market. It needs a little bit of work, not much. Um, and basically what we what they're asking for is $3.5 million. And we offered them $4 million over the course of seven years um, with a um, blended interest rate of 5%. They wanted 4.5% and we offered them 5%. So basically it, the, the way that it works is on the front end, we're, so our, our monthly pay, our Basically, what we asked for over the over the course of seven years is one percent month uh, interest only payment per month for the first three years, and then it would jump up to, I think, four percent, then up to eleven percent in order for that. Um, that blended that becomes blended, an average. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes an average of five percent. So, so we're giving them a lot more than what they're asking for. Just up front, we're taking the terms are better for us up front, right? So the goal is to get those rents up, get the NOI up, which is your net operating income, and then either refinance the property or off it. What I think what it allows us to do too is stay a little more liquid up front and to get in to say either flip or get ready to increase the value of each unit to increase the rents so we can start making more money. So when we start hitting those balloon payments, right, of seven or not balloon payments, but increase interest, say 7% and 11% and then that balloon payment, We've made enough up front to where we're not so concerned about that either. It's kind of a, a new way of looking at things that I hadn't been a part of or that much aware of. You know, I've seen some things from a few people online. I never got really the whole breadth of it, you know, until we started kind of making these offers. And it's really pretty clever way to do things. It, it's actually, and it benefits the seller tremendously because, I mean, 100%. me personally, and I know you guys, you get, you know, cash flow every month without the stress of dealing with anything. You're collecting a check every month. Um, and you know, the way we structure is if, you know, we stop making payments, the seller is going to take back over that property and any improvements we made or anything we've done to improve the property, they're just going to take over and they can sell it at a higher price. So it's, it's honestly a win-win for everybody involved. You know, I think it's just people don't do it as common. So it's kind of not, you know, people think you're trying to get something over on them, but it's not the case at all. So I, a question for you, Mike, with being Mr. Mr. Money Man, um, the, when a seller finance, that's actually on a shirt. (laughs) Yeah. A seller finance <laughs> a deal. So does that mean that that they still? So I, I know people. I was talking to my dad about this, and he was all concerned. He's like, "So does that mean that 
they still own the property and that that like they have the title. So what's the benefit for you guys? And so how, how does that work? Yeah. So really the easiest way to look at it is the seller becomes the bank. They're our lender. We own the property. We own everything. They're just our bank. We're making our monthly payments to them. And then obviously if anything does happen to the property where a lender would come in and retake the property, if you stop making payments, they come in and retake the property. So you own the property. It's would be strands property. They're just our bank. They're simply just collecting payments. Then at the end of the agreed upon terms or X amount of years, they're going to get that balloon payment for, for whatever was agreed upon. Um, and like I said, worst case scenario, if payments were stopped, they take back over the property, any improvements that came along with it. So as if, as if you foreclose. Exactly. So they're the bank. We, you know, that seller becomes the bank, period. And they're, they're rid of any, yep. you know, it's just, it's, it's the same as if Wells Fargo was holding the note on your house. Yep. Yeah. So in that case, so on a $3 million property and, you know, they want you to put 20% down on a conventional loan, right? So now you got to have $600,000. Well, you do the seller finance, you're going to save all that upfront money and that money you would have had to put down on a conventional loan. You're now using it to come in to increase the value of the property, to increase the rents, to make more money up front. Yep. Yep. And then they're going to end up getting, you know, more money in the long run. And, you know, you're going to be able to hold on to a, a better property that's worth more and, you know, hopefully cash flow more in the future. You've incentivized. Exactly. And so what would benefit a property owner to, to do this? Well, I think the biggest benefit, especially especially right now in this market, why would this benefit a, a seller or a property owner who Maybe it doesn't own it, owe anything on the property. They inherited it from their grandparents. It's a 10-unit apartment complex. Why would this benefit them versus just taking a traditional payment or a traditional purchase? Well, you're going to get you're going to get more for the property in the long run, right? So, say right now in this market or any market, you're going to sell a property for three million. On a seller finance deal, you're going to structure that deal where in the long run, three four years, you might make two three four hundred thousand dollars more on that property plus the interest only payments you're getting over the course of the loan. So you're not only going to get a higher number for that price on the back end, but you're going to make interest only payments per month to do nothing. You know, you're literally collecting cash flow to just sit there and not deal with the tenants, nothing like that. So, I mean, I personally, I would do seller finance all day if I owned a bunch of multifamilies because it's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they stop making payments, you take over the property, you know, any improvements that are done, you're now taking that over and selling it for a higher price. So correct. I mean, who are the richest organizations in the world? The banks, yep. period. So if you can become the bank, why wouldn't you? Yep. Yeah. Um, do you want those little eyepieces too, like the Monopoly guy when you come to the bank? <laughs> do not pass go. <laughs> you know, if the seller can give us the terms that we need, we can give them the price that they want, which is going to be higher than what they're going to get on market. So, so if so, offering five hundred thousand dollars over asking isn't that big of a deal if you're doing a seller finance. Exactly, because you're going to. Ideally, do improvements over the course of that loan. You can have it for three years, five years, seven. You can have it for a thirty-year loan. You know, whatever you and the seller agree upon. So, what do you I, see most? Lo- what do you see most seller finance loans going? Probably like five years. Five years. Best length. It, but you know, people that are smart are going to do it for thirty years and collect that payment. You know, and have yeah, no. You can do it for sure. Exactly, and then maybe have like, hey, you know, after five years, then you can do, you know refinance but up until five years you can't do anything that's what i would do personally sort of like that paying off your house thing like is it a good idea to pay off your house yeah it's not a bad idea to pay off your house but if you could use that money that you would use to pay off your house to make 10 percent in an investment or 12 percent in an investment you're going to do that instead exactly yeah how about down payments you always need down payments for the seller finance deals or no you don't always need down payments i mean 
it's a good incentive for the seller. Maybe they're looking to get into another property so you can work it out with them where you give them a certain amount so they can get into their other property so they can still do the seller finance sale. But I mean, typically down payments on a seller finance property are going to be anywhere from no money down to 5%, you know, anything over that it's, you're kind of getting in. Why would you even do a seller finance deal? You know, if you're putting down 20%. So it's really whatever you can negotiate. I mean, the the door's wide open. You You can get as creative as you want. You can make the most crazy terms, you know, 27% the first year, 0% the second year, no interest for seven years, whatever you want to do. You know, you and the seller, the seller's your bank, whatever works for everybody. Okay, so let's say that a house, a property is listed, right? And they have an agent or a broker or whoever they're dealing with that lists their, their property. And that property gets listed and we come in or somebody else comes in and offers a seller finance deal. And typically they're going to get paid through escrow, right? The agent or the broker. How does that factor into them? Why would they help somebody like you or me purchase that property? Why wouldn't they just go with a traditional sell or a traditional buyer present that to their seller versus wanting to push for this one even you know. Well, if I'm understanding your question correctly, so I mean, they're still going to get paid, like you said, through escrow, right? Whatever's agreed upon in their listing terms, if it's off market, will obviously work out a finder's fee for them. But I mean, per, what I think is the reason why they would want to work with us instead is because we're in the market to buy more, you know, so they work with us, you know, we work together, have a good relationship. We but wanna- is there, but I guess what I'm saying is their commission still going to be, um, you know, the, the, let's say it's 3%, 3% of the, Four million versus three percent of the three point five, or because they're not getting their money until it's yeah, it would be the same. Okay, it'd be the same. Yeah, they're and not going to lose any money on us. You know, in many cases they'll probably end up making more. Yeah, they're going to negotiate exactly. a little more on that. So there is some incentive for them. Maybe they're waiting slightly longer, but if you have a chance to make an extra, you know, on a sale five hundred thousand dollars, you're probably going to wait a little bit more to get that extra check in. You know, and plus, too, in commercial deals, I know, Eric, you're part of this, typically that takes longer to get paid out, too, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, it depends. If it's a sale, no. If it's a lease, yeah. But if it's a sale, it's all the same escrow uh, process, same escrow. And, and like yeah. I said, you can get as creative as you want. So maybe, you know, the agent gets a you know a percentage of that down payment, plus when the house, you know, you, or you refinance or you sell in X amount of years, they can get an extra percent on that for, for helping you get the deal right. So there's a bunch of creative ways you can go and structure it, and you know everyone wins in these situations. Well, now you've gone back and you made a relationship, right? Like you exactly. close a deal with someone. You have this this real estate agent. Most of these these people are looking for they do commercial real estate, right? Yep. They're, they're bigger units, you know. And so now they're hey, this guy we're good with their word. Um, I have this this mark this property. Uh, I have this property here, and maybe they'll come do some more off market stuff, you know, and kind of opens up the door for everyone to kind of make more money, you know. Yep, definitely. They keep feeding each other. One hundred percent. I'm pretty sure you're smelling your microphone. Is that what's going on there? I am. It actually doesn't smell bad. It's, it's good. It's good news. Everyone, take a smell break and just I, go for I it. I brushed my teeth this morning. That's fantastic. But my electric toothbrush was dead. That's the worst. <laughs> Did you make still make the noises? No. Kenna <laughs> no, unplugs the thing all the time. Really? Yeah. It's like I hate the way it looks up here. Like, <laughs> now you can't brush teeth. Yeah. Like you want sticky breath? <sighs> um. But yeah, you know, I, I did like the idea of seller financing, just running those numbers and looking at it, and I, I'm really kind of into it. Yeah. And I think that the more that property owners understand it, they will be as well. Exactly. So I think a lot of people think of it and think, you know, oh, I don't know about that. But I think, you know, 
I think the smart business people are going to take take the time. Yeah. You know, it's how you explain it to them. You know, it's like an agent would or you know, agent would explain to their client. You're kind of doing the same thing. You're you're selling to them. And I think the smart ones will take a look and go, "Oh, yeah, man, this yeah. is kind of hard to pass up." Exactly. Okay, so one more question on this. So do you think that a for example, we just put an offer in on a 3 3 unit, a 8 unit? And then we're about to put an offer on a 78 unit uh, complex in Nashville. My question to you is, what is the difference between the three and the 78 unit? There's no difference. As far as us structuring a deal, then there's no difference. Why? Because it all stays the same. It's just numbers, zeros, you're just adding. It's the structure of the seller finance deal is the exact same. You know, the way that they get paid, the way that the seller becomes the bank, the way that you have your balloon payment. All the terms are the same on how you structure them. Nothing changes. It's just the bigger the unit, the more zeros, the smaller unit, the less zeros. But everything else is stays. To be honest with you, the bigger units are probably easier because there's more money involved in it. So it, people are going to make more money then. The smaller units are a little tighter, and it's going to be di- more difficult to make those numbers work. You know. Okay. Cool. I agree. So you brought up, you know, Nashville. Um, why not? A 78 unit complex in California uh, well there's a couple of reasons one is being a landlord in California uh, is not notoriously difficult yes yeah, is very difficult um, the other thing is um, price everything's more expensive out here rents and price are closer together than you know yeah so California is much more of a of a uh, the way I explain it to people is it's it's more equity heavy so you're looking at something that you're gonna gain a lot of equity in, not so much cash flow and hold for a long time. So uh, in California, like equity heavy. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's more of a, Hey, I'm going to buy a house here and it's probably not going to cash flow all that much because of the, the price of the house and the interest rates and, and True. the rent here is through the roof. Whereas if you buy something in another state where you, you know, the, the rents are maybe higher, but, or the, the properties don't, um, gain gain as much equity as quickly yeah. as they do here, then you're at least cash flowing, and that's a property that you're that you're looking more for a hold, right? For a, a longer term hold. Yeah. So I can, I, for example, say my own house. You know, if I were to rent it out, I'm only making about six hundred dollars more a month than my mortgage would be. You know, and on top of that, I now am a landlord. You know, my home is increasing value, but. And now landlord have to deal with, you know, tenants have to deal with the property management of it on top of now I have to have another place to live for an extra 600 bucks a month. That kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, like you were saying, you move out of state and you can cash flow a little more, you know, that $600 maybe becomes a thousand dollars or $1,200, which makes far more sense to me where you're doubling up uh, to be out of state. Yeah. And you can, you can acquire more properties that way as well. Correct. Um, so cool. Anything else? I mean, we kind of got into it today. Went yeah. down there and got into back. it, huh? <laughs> not, so as, cool. not as bad, not as bad as we had before, but yeah. No. Um, hey, Michael, why don't you go ahead and ask your question? Oh. All these questions. Oh man, this one's getting difficult. All right, Brian. Oh, hang on. Okay, go ahead. All right, Brian. Thanks. To be. To own 200 units at cash flow, $250 a unit, would you suck on a bum's toe for 35 seconds? After 
he walked around for 16 days. I hate you so much. I'm rethinking this whole partnership thing with these questions. <laughs> so how much uh, is that? 200 units times two. I, I'm not that good times at Times 250. Well, let's do it real quick. Was that 50,000? 250. <laughs> <Times>. <laughs> oh, 200 units times 250. That's 50 grand. You got oh, suck, suck on a bum's toe. That's a month? For 50 grand a month? For 50 grand a month, yeah. Do you have to? Do you have to? Is it a one-time suck? It's once a month. You have to suck his toe once a month. No, you can't change the terms of the deal. I'll suck a toe once a month for fifty grand a month. A homeless guy. Homeless guy. Yeah, for fifteen seconds. After he's just stepped in human feces. Yeah, fifteen seconds. Do you get once a month? Do you have to buy your own penicillin, or does the penicillin come with the deal? Right after you suck the toe, the penicillin's right there each time. Yeah, well, I'm in. Yeah, no kidding. That's a that's a no-brainer. Okay, good. I'm in too. I'm just making sure you guys are normal. All right, let's go find a bum. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna go throw up now. Dead this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe, like, whatever it is on whatever you listen to. Um, thanks. Like, we'll be back for another one here. Thank you.